0: Thank you, Dave. Thank you, team. Uh, So good. uh, I love that song, and it so fits with the sermon, too, at one particular point. I think you'll see that. But uh, we are departing uh, today from the Psalms uh, series, I guess, and uh, I don't know where we'll be next week. I honestly pray each week, Lord, what do you have? What do you have for us? And uh, trust him to lead us in that. And so this morning, it leads us to Galatians 6. I grew up, uh, as many of you know, planting a garden, uh, and it wasn't any ordinary garden. Uh, For some reason, uh, my folks thought it necessary for us to feed our family and I think the rest of the community. And so we planted a huge garden every single year. I remember one year where, for whatever reason, maybe it was the year of potatoes, but We planted a a whole, we called it a patch, a whole patch of potatoes, so much so that when we went to dig those potatoes, we had 50 bushels of potatoes. I remember one time, and this was when we lived in Old Fort, I remember one time we went out to pick green beans. They were all planted at the same time. They all came in at the same time. We go to pick those green beans, and we picked five bushels of green beans in a single day. And then, of course, string, break, can. Um, and I know gardening is now in vogue. People will do it now. We've never done it before, and I'm glad you are. And there are multiple reasons. It's good food. Uh, you know, one of the best things is a fresh garden tomato on a couple slices of, of, of bread with some mayonnaise and salt and pepper. That's just good, good stuff. But there's another really good reason that if you've started planting in in a garden, uh, it is going to be very beneficial for you, because one of the things that sowing and uh, harvesting does, that planting and reaping does, is it makes you realize there is this thing called delayed gratification, that you plant something and it comes up a whole lot later, and there's a lot that goes in. To the planting and to the the uh, the harvesting, there's so much in between. We call it in scripture and in life the principle of sowing and reaping. And I want to rescue this principle from two different perspectives before we jump in this morning. First of all, is the televangelist perspective: the sowing and reaping. Sow a thousand dollars into my ministry, and you will reap. However much, they say, I've always wondered every time I watch that, if you really believe what you're saying, why don't you go sow like 10,000 into somebody else's ministry and you'll be a millionaire based on your multiplication efforts, sowing and reaping. Um, So I want to rescue this principle from that, that isn't the biblical application of it. The second group I want to rescue this is from legalists who only use it negative, negatively and and also nagging parents and maybe grandparents. Son, you're going to reap what you sow. You know I told you she was going to reap what she sows as if it is only negative. You see, the principle of sowing and reaping is neither negative nor positive. It's neutral. It's just a fact. And it is from these few words at the end of Paul's letter to the Galatians that we discover three principles. I read these years ago. These aren't uh, uh, mine, but I cannot say them any better. And they are that you reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. And you reap after you sow. So if you're taking notes... uh, This morning or whenever you're watching this, if you're taking notes, jot those three principles down. You reap what you sow. Look at this. Do not be deceived. Uh, Paul would write that if we did not have the possibility of deception. We can deceive ourselves and we can be deceived by others. We can deceive ourselves, and we can be deceived by others. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you that the voice you hear the most is your own. We talk to ourselves. As a matter of fact, in an article in The Atlantic, Charles uh, Ferniehow, a professor at Durham University in the United Kingdom, writes that inner speech, this self-talk, isn't bound by many of the conventions of verbal speech. He says, for one, we can produce it much faster. One researcher in his book uh, 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 cites that inner speech can go at an average pace of 4,000 words a minute. 10 times faster than if I'm talking to someone else. Now think about that. If you talk to yourself 10 times faster than you hear someone else talking or you talk to someone else, the words you say to yourself are huge. This shows the real danger of self deception And this is why we must be in fellowship with others. One of the things that concerns me during this time is the danger of self-deception. Because you may have slacked off in your time with your life group or in your interaction with an accountability partner in your life. You and I need what I call an interrupter. We all need an interrupter. Somebody who speaks into the self deception, the talk that we tend to say again and again to ourselves, be it lies that make us feel better about ourselves, or if your bent is to be too hard on yourself, to speak truth on the other side. Paul opens this section by saying, do not be deceived. And that indeed is our temptation. God is not mocked. We can't fool God. Why? For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That principle cannot be done away with. Whatever you sow is what's going to come up. You can say all day long you planted corn, but if beans come up, All anybody has to do is trek past the garden and they're going to discover what? You planted beans. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Second principle, you reap more than you sow. So principle number one, you reap what you sow. Secondly, you reap more than you sow. Look at this, for the one who sows to his own flesh. So we discover here two kinds of sowing. You can sow to your flesh. And from your flesh reap something. You can sow to the Spirit, and from the Spirit reap something else. So let's define. What is the flesh? The flesh is the seat of your sinful desires. The flesh is the seat of your sinful desires. And when you came to Christ, it didn't go away. When you came to faith in Jesus, your old sinful nature still hung around. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 5, Paul is painting a picture of the old and the new, and they're in a tug of war with one another. So we all have our struggles, each of them individual. Some of you struggle with pride, others anger, others have control issues, others lust. Some struggle with jealousy, others with greed. Some live for the approval of others. Others of you live on one performance high after another. Some struggle with alcohol, some with other drugs, some struggle with pornography, some struggle with gossip. Some of you struggle because you try to mix religions without even knowing it. It's God and whatever the other end is. And when you came to Christ, you did not lose your sinful desires, and so a struggle ensued. We still want to sin, and the principle of sowing and reaping isn't negated by Jesus. We still reap what we sow, even after coming to faith in Jesus. But not only that, you reap more than you sow. If you sow to the flesh, which is the desire, all right, that's the sinful nature, you will reap corruption, which is decay, rottenness. It literally, that word refers to a decaying body. That, my friends, is the impact of sin. Psalm 32, 4 and 5 says, uh, David, writing about his own sin, says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Sin devastates, sin is corrupt, it decays. You reap what you sow, but you reap more than you sow. I look this up. One kernel of corn planted produces a stalk. One stalk of corn, on the average, produces four ears. It may produce more, but one stalk of corn, on the average, produces four ears of corn. One ear of corn, on the average, produces 800 kernels. So if that one kernel produces one stalk, which produces four ears, which produces 800 kernels, if my math is right, that's 3,200 kernels of corn produced by one kernel, one seed. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. You reap more than you sow. Paul initially addresses this in the negative, but then he goes into the positive. It shows that the principle of sowing and reaping isn't positive or negative. It's, it's do you sow to the spirit or to the flesh? He says, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life, we have two places to sow that will yield two different results and more than we ever thought possible. Eternal life isn't just heaven there, it's a heavenly quality of life here. Eternal life begins for the follower of Jesus the moment he or she receives Christ, if you sow to the Spirit, you will from the Spirit reap eternal life. C.S. Lewis has a fascinating quote on this. He says this, so hang on, put your thinking cap on. It is a serious thing to live in a society, he says, of possible gods and goddesses. Here it is, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. What is C.S. Lewis saying? You reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, your life will be a nightmare, either now or later in eternity. You will die an eternal death. And the horror of seeing such a person in that death is unthinkable. If you, by faith in Christ, sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. And if you and I could see our friends and our family, our loved ones who've gone to be with Jesus. We would be tempted, C.S. Lewis says, to bow down and worship them. Just like Mary was, Magdalene, we talked about last week, with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, or the garden Tomb. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, there are no ordinary people, you have never talked to a mere mortal. You say, Jerry, how do I gauge this? How do I gauge, am I so into the flesh or am I so into the spirit? Honestly, one of the best ways is to have milestones or mile markers in your life. Are you closer to God now than a month ago or a year ago? You could look at this crisis and are you walking closer with God as this has, we're now six Sundays into this, or are you farther from God? That's a great way. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow. Third principle, you reap after you sow. Paul said, and let us not grow weary of doing good. That's my encouragement to you. That's why I think the Spirit just led me to this passage for us and for us to think of it. So don't grow weary. Don't become exhausted. The word weary means spiritless In doing good. There are two very exciting days when you plant a garden. Two, one is when the seedling first comes up. That's an exciting day because the seed that went into the ground is now coming up. Super exciting day. And the second is when you get your first fruits from the garden. Those are the two exciting days. Two, all right, those are the two exciting days. The other exciting days, well, more fruit that comes down the road. But in between those two critical, exciting days are lots of days of fertilize and weed pulling, and hoeing and fertilize and weed pulling and weed pulling and we you get you get the point. Not many people wake up excited to sweat in 80 degree weather while they get weeds out from around their green beans. That isn't exciting. We are in Sunday 6 of having worship remotely. Several of you have lost your jobs. Many of you own small businesses. You cut hair for a living. You see patients for a living. You you build, contracts are being fulfilled now, and business is slowing. You're at different places in all of this. You definitely are not in the exciting days of harvest. Some of you are still trying, talk to you this week, to get your unemployment set up. Have yet to receive anything. Others of you, your marriage is taking a hit. You're at one another as husband and wife. Students, you're confused, wondering, trying to figure everything out. What does graduation look like? What does college look like? I want to encourage you. This is a time of sowing. It's not harvest time. It, It just isn't. This is a time of sowing. You will either sow to the flesh, and that can look like worry, anxiety, thinking of things over which you have no control. That can be drilling down on sinful habits, on having too little interruption from godly people in your life. And so sin can grow if you sow it during this time. Or you can sow to the Spirit, and you can look back on this time as a time when you grew, when your walk with God grew, when as one dad texted me this week and said, my family is closer as a result of this. We will all look back on it, but in different ways. What does Paul say here? Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't become so exhausted, so tired, spiritless. Keep doing good. Why? For in due season. That's how sowing and... Reaping happens. If the seedling comes up too soon, you may have planted it not deep enough. If it comes up too soon and sprouts too quickly, it may not bear up under the weight of the fruit of the tomatoes or the the beans or the corn that wants to grow. There is a season a due season for planting and sowing. That word "due" just means at a time suitable. Paul writes, we will reap if we do not give up. The word give up means to relax, to let go. So my encouragement to you is to hang in there. Not to give up, to have fixed in your mind, this is a time of sowing. Reaping will come later. Paul ends this with a sow then. I love that in Scripture means in light of the fact that you reap what you sow and that you reap after you sow and you reap more than you sow, in light of that, so then, what should you do? As we have opportunity. All right, so just the word suggests an attitude. You're either going to have an opportunity Disguised as a problem or a problem disguised as an opportunity. It's your perspective. Paul uses the word opportunity. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. All right, so sowing, reaping, let us do good to everyone. I've shared this before, but maybe you haven't heard it, but uh, we grew up sowing. And reap it. And for several years growing up, our family lived right across from Glenda Glenn and uh, Diane Brooks and their mom Judy. Judy was a single mom, and we would have the first fruits of the tomatoes, especially. And Dad would say, "Son, go pick the tomatoes." And I'd go pick them and come in, and he'd pick out some of the very best ones. And he'd say, take those to Judy. And I'd head across the street. Sometimes they'd be home. Sometimes they wouldn't. And I'd leave that on their front porch. Other things, all through the harvesting season, food went. Judy never asked I think dad must have assumed they could use it. Food across the street. That, that's what this says. Let us do good to everyone. Let me talk about the doing good. Mandy Pittman, who directs all of our outreach here at Grace, uh, I reached out to her to find out how many boxes of food have left this place this week. Are you ready for this? This week, 942 boxes of food. 942 boxes. If you want, somebody, Dave, can you grab me one of those boxes right there? I'll show you. This place was full of them. They're sitting here in the room. And I just want to show you, when I say 942 boxes, it's 942 of those. 942 boxes. I reached out to Paula Bergen, who's had a crew of uh, of uh, women who've been sewing masks. And this crew of women has sewed to date 1,000. So here's what a box looks like. I am will to open it up. But this is the size. 942 of these. That is awesome. I just expect right now on Facebook... You guys are saying praise, and you too, praise the Lord, amen, whatever. Or go Mandy. So Mandy and her team, 942 of those, Paula Bergen, 1,212 masks they've sewn uh, that that have uh, gone out uh, to uh, all the nursing home staff. Absolutely tremendous to see. Another thing is all the churches partnering together. The food drive for the food hub, just tremendous to see that food rolling in already. Some churches, when I put the word out on Tuesday, launched it Tuesday. We waited to launch so that we could uh, not overflow the food hub all at once. And so I expect this week that you're going to drive by here, drop off so much food at our offices. And we're excited about that. We'll get that to the food hub. Uh, churches partnering to serve the staff at the hospitals. Four times that has happened with encouraging notes to 300 of, of the staff at, at McDowell Hospital. We have a conference call this afternoon, and we, as pastors, are launching an effort to support our critical staff in our nursing homes. We have quite a few homes. Just didn't realize all of these homes. Shannon Jones, part of our church, been doing an amazing job to support them. We have churches now that are adopting a specific nursing home and are going to weekly encourage the staff. This week we received notes. Uh, we, we sent communion cups, individual communion cups with the wafer and the juice all in one to Autumn Care. And they led on Easter Sunday communion with their, all of their residents. Lisa on our staff coordinated that and they, uh, they talked of the tears that flowed through that place on Easter Sunday. Let us do good to everyone. And then it says here, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Many of you who are parents of kids have been involved in a project that Alan Michael has led out on where your kids are making cards and sending them to folks in our church who right now have lost a loved one or maybe they're battling cancer or another illness. The household of faith. The best way that you serve one another right now is your life group leaders. I've been in communication with every one of them, again this week, hearing from them. I walk away from all of those either physical conversations by phone or email, or message of some kind, blown away by how much they love you, how much they care for you, how their hearts beat for you, how they carry burdens for you. But I received the most unexpected call on Friday. And that call has caused us to launch a brand new initiative here. It was a young couple in our church. And they called and they said, Jerry, we we received our stimulus check. Now, one of them, their work has been affected. But he said, we're blessed and we don't need it. And we don't think we should keep it. Would you tell us who needs it? Maybe it's somebody in much worse shape than we are, but we don't know who that would be. And so they are given their entire stimulus check. Imagine $2,400, I think that's what they said it was, to help. Somebody, immediately a single mom in our church came to mind who's lost her job. And so Mandy and her team, her benevolence team, will now begin launching with members of Grace. And we need to hear from you. If you're a part of our family, our church family, that's what this is. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. And you fall in one of two categories. You received a stimulus check and you don't need it. You can go to our website, to the give button, and just choose other and put stimulus in there. Everything given that way will go to the second group. You need some help. If this continues, your livelihood is at stake. Maybe your home mortgage, maybe there are other issues. We want to help you that one phone call caused us to think here. There may be those who have, who can give. Maybe it's not all of it. Maybe it's part of it. And there may be, and there definitely are those who need. And so Mandy and her team, who are great at helping to, in a good way, meet needs, we're going to bring that together. If you have any questions about that, wanda at graceforall.org. Email her or call our offices tomorrow. You reap what you sow. and That's a good thing. It's a really good thing. If you reap to the spirit, like this young couple, you reap more than you sow, you reap after you sow. I didn't ask our praise team to do it, but I want them to come back and I want us to sing Faithful now. I don't know if you know the line in this song. Sometimes we sing songs and we miss lines, and I may even misquote it. But it says something to this effect. I will speak to my fears. I think I will preach to my doubts. If the research is right and we talk to ourselves at a rate 10 times faster than we hear from one another. Some of you need to change your self-talk. Some of you need to speak to your fears and preach to your doubts. And some of you need to push the rewind button and see where God was faithful, where you sowed, and God gave the increase. Some of you need to do that and go, if he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. So I want to frame for you here a family worship moment. If your kids have been somewhere else, if your teenagers are here or there, I know that things can be wild. I want you to bring your kids together, however hard that may be. I want you to tell them, look at the screen. I want you to tell them, listen, this song is what we're about. I know things are different for you if they're a high school kid or a middle school kid or an elementary school kid. I know things are different for us as a family. I know that, I mean, there may be anxiety abound. If you're a wife of an anxious husband, if you're a husband of an anxious wife, I want you to grab them right now. Put your arms around them. If you've been fighting this week because you've been sowing to the flesh, repent and I want you during this song maybe make a family altar in your living room or in your kitchen or wherever you may be or maybe you need to slip out of your cubicle at work and go right now and say okay God I have been I've forgotten there's some things if you've been missing your time with your life group or your accountability partner, I want you to right now, whether this is live or later, send them a text and say, okay, we have to get back on track. Things have to get back where they need to be. And let's together affirm the God who was faithful then and faithful Let's worship him together.
1: Shake prison walls, and I will speak to my fear, and I will preach to my doubt that you were faithful.
0: faithful then you'll be faithful now Father God I pray right now for families I pray for moms and dads who need a a readjustment, a realignment they really do need a reminder I pray for grandparents who are hurting because they can't see their grandchildren pray for singles who are so tired of being all alone. Father, I pray for people who are worried about money. I pray for people for whom fear has become an uninvited friend. I pray right now that in living rooms and kitchens and workplaces that there would be, again, to be a revival, a renewal, that these people would not grow weary in doing well, for they will reap in due season if they do not faint. I pray that you would remind them that you have done it before and you'll do it again, and that you are that God. And I pray that they would speak to their fear and preach to their doubt. You were faithful then, you'll be faithful now, and you'll be faithful then. Your faithfulness is who you are. It is not time-bound. It is not circumstantial. It is your essential character. You cannot deny yourself, your word says, and that is today. So, Lord, be, be faithful. Show yourself faithful by your presence and your peace and your spirit and and, and repentant hearts. Show yourself faithful to teenagers who are prone to wonder, to children who are prone to fear. Show yourself to be faithful today. And may people individually, may on YouTube and Facebook right now celebrate your faithfulness. May they share with others in the family. May they share, God met me this morning and he worked. And may you be praised, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for loving us like you do. We pray this in your strong name. And all God's people all over listening say amen. Amen. You're going to see a video as we close our time together. Been so good to be with you. If you need us, let us know. We mean that.